Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all involved in some form or another. I'm not guilty. <laughs> the dead won't bother you. It's the living you got to worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello, and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicki. And I'm Janelle. We back again. <laughs> Some more murder. Yes. Crimes. Mysteries and fire, fi- fire, arson. Um, what else? Uh, you know, all the science, uh, all the crime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> back Just again. Things we've done. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not it, done personally, it, but like covered, oh, covered. God. Yes. Oh no, no, <laughs> no. I'm just I, allegedly, I'm allegedly. Just <laughs> oh god. Oh no. Now they know. <laughs> um, if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. We're just gonna cut with the rip. And if you're and, a returning listener, oh god. Also, hello to you as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that'll avoid all the angry that. text messages. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're just going to jump right into it, I think. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Cool I that? feel great about it. All right. Let's head over <laughs> to the newsroom. We both had a lot of uh, nut-based snacks, and we're ready. Just yeah. ready to go. The energy yeah. is high. We're trying to push through to nap time. So, <laughs> I mean, no nap time for me, but you know. Oh, straight up, I'm going to take oh, the God. longest I'm, nap ever. I'm going to my studio. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. MFA shows, am I right? <laughs> oh God. Oh God. Um, all right. This week, our news comes from Texas. Unfortunately. Yeah. Pretty uh, shitty place to be right now. Wichita Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, so early in the morning, uh, July 18th, Melvin Earl Young was country singer name. Yeah. (laughs) Was arrested by police for burglary. What was he burglaring? You ask? It was a McBride steakhouse. Okay. Not familiar. Uh, me neither, but (laughs) it's a steakhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when they got there, the front door was locked, but they heard some, or I'm sorry, the front door was unlocked and they heard some noise in the kitchen. So they went back to see who it was, found Melvin, 
Um, they said he was wearing black latex gloves and standing at a refrigerator. Oh, God. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he had an ID on him, on him that identified him as Melvin Young. And then when they arrested him and searched him, they said that there were several strip steaks and one ribeye slab in the backpack and three fillets were on a table. And they also found several bottles of liquor in a plastic bag um, and that the, the liquor closet had been uh, broken into. Sounds like he's ready for a barbecue. Steak and booze. Mm-hmm. Right. Melvin Young has been convicted convicted of theft in the past in 1986. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was arrested and has a bond set um, and is awaiting trial. But, yep, went in to steal some steak and booze. Classic combo. Classic combo. Crime and cooking. <laughs> uh, let's move on to Netflix and kill. This week is a Max and Kill. Um, I'll never get used to that. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. That name. Let me rewind. I have Peacock now. Yes. Okay. I, so I'm going to preface this by saying I haven't watched this yet, but okay. I, I still want to talk about it because there's some implications in here that are a little tricky. Mm-hmm. So the documentary is called. Casey Anthony, Where the Truth Lies. You haven't seen it yet? I have not seen it yet. Have you seen it? Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about this because uh, I think unless you've been living under a rock, you probably know who Casey Anthony is. Uh, This documentary particularly provides a space for her. (laughs) Eloquent words you're using. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Provides a space for Casey Anthony to come on and tell her side of the story. Because the court case didn't do that enough. (laughs) Yes. Um, So if you don't remember, um, she was in her 20s, living in Florida, was accused of killing her two-year-old daughter, Kaylee. She's originally reported missing, and there were allegations that Casey Anthony was covering the whole thing up. She was charged with first-degree murder. Um, and then found not guilty. She was acquitted. Yeah. Um, so this is very, <laughs> it's very controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, they did find Kaylee's body eventually mm-hmm. in, um, in some, in a wooded area near the home. Um, but the trial was kind of controversial. It happened in early 2000. You know, it's very, I would say this verdict is up there with like OJ Simpson where it's Which like, why they're best friends. So you know fucking that? weird. Mm, yeah. Yes, I did. In case you guys didn't so know that, look it up. There be um, Lots of <laughs> partners in crime, if you will. Yeah, God. Sorry. Lots of <laughs> strange things. But I, I, I always think that it's really interesting when something like this happens. I'm actually kind of surprised OJ hasn't done a fucking documentary himself. I'm waiting for a, a joint podcast to come out from those two. Right. They both live in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Although OJ did write the book, If I Did It. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, and the podcast would be something to that Yikes. effect. Right. If we did it. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so it's an interesting thing when when something like this comes out because you always have to take it with a grain of salt. You know, obviously there's a lot of public public opinion surrounding the Casey Anthony case or – the Kaylee Anthony case, as it would be, should be more rightly called. Yes, because you know, it's a 
dead child. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think she disappears too much in this case in particular because it's all about Casey Anthony. But yeah, mm-hmm. thoughts, since you have seen it and I have not. There was a very uncomfortable moments throughout the entire thing. Lots of close-ups of her face. Yeah. Um, a couple moments where they tried to do some edging on gotchas with her. Like, but why didn't you... What what happened with the lying of your be you know working at Disney still and yeah if it was an accident why didn't you tell anyone you yeah know, like asking those questions yeah it did seem like they were trying to get her to like say the incorrect thing mm. but she's been repeating the same stuff over and over and over and over again it's not going to happen she's not going to like accidentally slip up. You know, right off camera but mike's still on <laughs> yeah no jinx moment no jinx moments yeah no yeah. Uh, curious case of natalia grace moments yeah right um it was really uncomfortable um i like to do this thing where i'm you know if i'm on vacation or home on a sunday by myself or whatever i'll put on something and then like to fall asleep to it and then come back to it that's mm. what i did during this mm. because i was just like i can't yeah but it is interesting, but very uncomfortable. Yeah. If you like to be uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm looking forward Some to it. Some people like to be uncomfortable. <laughs> I love being uncomfortable. <laughs> Definitely uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to watching it just because, you know, I think these kind of things are important as a, almost like a, uh, a documentary tool for lack of a better term, like mm-hmm. for having this on file on the record. Yeah. It but, definitely, like, made me feel more leaning towards, like, I – watching this and, like, going back and thinking about the case, I definitely feel like she did something neglectful that caused her daughter to die. Maybe not directly murder her, but neglected her enough that she died mm-hmm. from something. And she was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to go to jail and then covered it up. Like, that definitely solidifies that kind of yeah. storyline for me watching this and then kind of thinking about it more yeah and the way at least from the trailers the way that they filmed it reminded me a lot of the amanda knox documentary mm-hmm. um where it, again is her telling Play her story mm-hmm. after an acquittal but i have always felt with the amanda knox story that she was innocent like mm-hmm. i have always felt that you know and with casey anthony i don't necessarily feel that way so like no she i feel like she like didn't feed her kid or like the kid she told her kid to fuck off and, like, something happened, like, you know, where yeah, that kind of situation. Yeah. Where it was extreme neglect. Yeah. I think it's worth saying these are all our opinions, yes, by the way. This, <laughs> this entire yeah. podcast is just all opinions opinion. and barely In facts. case this ever comes up in a court case when we're getting if you're, sued. If you're but like, oh, this is not very, oh, the research, oh, like, fuck off. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is loosely researched, mostly a joke. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I think it's worth a watch again just for the sheer posterity of it. Yeah. I guess. Or if you want to put yourself to sleep. <laughs> I'll watch this when I go to take a nap later. Um, so in case you're interested, that is on Peacock. It is called Casey Anthony, Where the Truth Lies. Also interesting title. Truth mm-hmm. Lies. Whoa, 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 whoa yeah. deep. um all right this is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for our listeners uh this week we're talking about murder i've said that for the last like four episodes but 
Yeah, I mean, my, again, mine's a plot twist again. So, like, are, am I talking about murder? Yeah. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like mine is a very old-timey story that you're going to be very into. I love an old-timey story. You're going to be into I this. I love – put me in another place in time. Take me out of this modern era, please. <laughs> so – With my modern problems. <laughs> this one, the next couple episodes, you'll be in heaven then. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, this week we're talking about murder for hire. And then I do all the modern stuff, too. Oh, my God. I'm yeah, that's – wild who <laughs> are we who we're are living. we we're talking about murder for hire uh it's more common than you would assume yeah uh people like to try to pay people to murder other people mm-hmm. or do anything really yeah i feel like there is yet to be a task rabbit for murder but it's coming a task rabbit for murder. <laughs> this anytime i talk about murder for hire i always think of that guy that made the website where you could it was like a oh, murder yeah. for hire, hire website and hire hitman yeah hire hitman.com and it was like very obviously a joke a joke but people are so fucking stupid they thought it was for real yeah so we started working with the the regular internet it's not real no you have to go to the dark web for that yeah duh get that tour browser (laughs) anyway vpns vpns yeah (laughs) so we are going to visit the state of south carolina in the (laughs) early 1900s okay yeah all right let's do this (laughs) Are you ready? I'm ready for some racism. Let's do it. <laughs> so the story begins with a man named David Timmerman. Now, Timmerman lived in Edgefield County and was a prominent businessman in the area. He owned, um, he's incredibly wealthy, owned like a filling station. They often call it the store, but these things were kind of one and the same. They were like mm-hmm. convenience stores and gas stations. Mm-hmm. It also appears that he had some sort of farm, as so many people, they had something and lived on a farm. to not have a farm. Yeah, right. Um, Because he definitely had some farm animals. Mm -hmm. One day in September 1940, one of Timmerman's mules wandered onto some land that belonged to J. Wallace Logue. Mm -hmm. Now, Logue was a World War I vet who was married to Sue Logue, and they lived on the farm property next door to Timmerman. Okay, so back to the mule. So, (laughs) the mule. It wanders onto some land that belongs to Logue. While it was there, the mule kicked one of Logue's calves to death. I mean, that would just take one blow, really. Mules are very strong. Yes, and calves are not. Are babies. They're babies. (laughs) Baby cows. Barely a cow. Yeah, so he wandered on, (laughs) beat the shit out of this (laughs) Beat the shit out of this calf. Now, obviously, Logue was not super thrilled about this. Right. Um, And he requested that Timmerman pay $20 to replace the calf. Yeah, that sounds logical. To which he agreed. He was like, cool, I get it. Let me get that mule out of here and we'll get you a new calf. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Logue went to the filling station to collect his money. But by the time he got there, he had decided, no, 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 no. Actually, you need to give me $40. Price of calves are going up now. <laughs> Doubled the price. Timmerman was like, uh, that's not what we agree on. I'm not paying that. Yeah. And I'm like, here's your 20. Don't ever talk to me again. Right. Right. <laughs> Which 20 bucks was like a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so he refused to pay. I and thought you were going to be like, he wanted $20 and to murder that mule. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hire somebody to murder the mule. I want you to kill that mule in front of me. <laughs> kill that ass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so he refused to pay, and this caused a huge altercation. Southern men and their fucking pride. <laughs> no, fuck you. No, fuck you. Exactly. And then just and rebel, then rebel. Hatfield McCoy all the live long day. 
It's a deep cut reference. Yeah. Look yeah. <laughs> so Logue grabbed an axe. Okay. And started attacking Timmerman. Wow. Not even, see, like, this is where you need to, like, be like, yeah, fuck you, and then sneak onto his property and steal his animals instead. Or kill the mule. Yeah, kill the mule. Retaliation, Axe the yo. mule. <laughs> Axe the mule. <laughs> um, in the midst of this fight, somehow, Timmerman grabbed a gun. <laughs> I mean, somehow. I mean, They're I'm sure there were just guns laying around. Yeah. <laughs> every Gr- nook and cranny. Yeah. Grabs this gun, shoots Logue twice, kills him. Well then, okay. Yeah. Um, Timberman, who of course was injured himself. <laughs> I was supposed to be like murder for hire from the grave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I love this story because it's like two murders in one, yeah. right? Um, so Timberman was also injured. He drove to the sheriff's office to report the killing himself and like turn himself in. Okay. Well, that's respect. An honorable thing to do. Respect. Yeah. Maybe not over what happened really, but. <laughs> yeah. But if you're getting attacked by a guy with an axe, mm-hmm. I mean. You know. Yeah. So Timmerman was arrested and charged with the murder after a short investigation. It was pretty straightforward. There were witnesses, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, now, at this point, there's three other people that enter the picture. There's going to be a kind of a lot of names. So I'm going to try to keep everybody okay. straight. Is it familial? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so first was Logue's widow, Sue Logue, we talked about a little bit ago. Um, her brother-in-law, George Logue. And and their nephew, Joe Frank. Okay. The most southern names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Joe Frank was he was pretty much raised in his like teenage years by Sue and George after his mom his mom died when he was 16. Um, and they pretty much raised him after that. He was also a police officer in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So after Timmerman is arrested, awaiting trial. Sue and George invite Joe Frank over multiple times. And most of these meetings consisted of Jew, uh, of Sue and George. Excuse me. That's their ship name. We keep shipped them as Jew. Yeah. <laughs> Sue and George um, proclaiming they would avenge Logue's death with Joe later reporting. He heard Sue say, quote, I will kill David Timmerman or see that he is killed. So this is very Hatfield and McCoy. It is just like yeah. eye for an eye for an eye yeah. for an eye for and an I, eye. I don't know that I included this in my research or not, but there are reports that prior to this incident with the mule and the calf and everything, like there was a long running feud, feud between these two families and this property. It's crazy because like in the South, it's like either it's like one or two ways. You either fucking hate each other and you want each other dead or you're like, we're family. I would die for that we're man. Yeah, the holler yeah. together. The holler. You know? Yeah. 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 So Timmerman went to trial March 1941 and, of course, presented self-defense as, like, his primary defense mm-hmm. um, for the murder. And so he w- did you ever think maybe your husband was an asshole? Yeah, right? <laughs> maybe. No. No. Um, so he was acquitted of the crime. They were like, oh, yeah, totally self-defense. Yeah, especially this is the South. Yeah. yeah the verdict came back in, like, a couple hours. It was yeah. very quick trial. Obviously. Um, It was reported by witnesses who had attended the trial that Sue was heard claiming at that time that she would avenge her husband's death after the verdict came down. Oh, Sue, fucking up. Yeah, right. In the months after the court case was resolved, Sue, George, and Joe Frank began visiting a man named Fred Dorn. Now, Dorn was a sharecropper on the Logue's farm. And the group had asked if maybe he'd be willing to kill David Timmerman. 
uh, for them. So just a few weeks after that, one of Timmerman's farmhands wound up dead. And it wasn't like... I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a crime that was like reported or prosecuted or any or investigated or anything, but it's suspected that George and Dorn were involved as like a warning. Okay. Yeah. Now, by July 1941, Sue and George decided that they pretty much had the crew assembled between the two of them and Joe Frank. That was that was good enough. So they actually went to Joe Frank and asked him to carry out the killing. Mm. Sue gave Joe Frank $500 to kill Timmerman. And he was, like, not really on board with this originally. Mm -hmm. Um, But after Sue threatened the lives of his mother and wife, he was like, okay, I'll do it. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, this woman's wild. She's wild. (laughs) She's going to have to hire another person to go out and kill the hired person to go out and kill the other person. It's just going to be a domino effect of murder. So Joe Frank began his part of the plan, which meant finding somebody else that would help him kill Timmerman. So he approached a man named Clarence Bagwell, who was sort of like this known seedier character in Spartanburg. He had a past. Like he was like, if you want something done, you go to Clarence. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Joe Frank asked if maybe Bagwell would kill Timmerman, to which Bagwell said, you're going to have to pay me $500. (laughs) And so after all of the monetary transactions, the two were ready um, by September 1941 after Joe Frank purchased a weapon from a pawn shop. Fucking World War II. You're concerned about this bullshit. Yes. (laughs) That fucking mule. Get a hobby, bitch. (laughs) He he killed the why uncle why don't you start riveting some shit okay yeah, like right. goddamn. <laughs> but he killed my uncle <laughs> even though he was being attacked by an axe that doesn't matter right. um yeah that's true this is a right smack dab in the middle of world war ii anyway um so they got this open for a pawn shop and then joe and uh joe frank and bagwell went to timmerman's shop to as they say case the joint mm-hmm. <laughs> They came back around 7 p.m. the same evening and asked for Bagwell, um, went into the shop while Joe Frank waited in the car. He approached the counter and asked for something, either cigarettes, gum, like something that was behind the counter. And when Timmerman turned around to retrieve the item, Bagwell shot him four to five times with a 38 caliber revolver. Do it. Yeah. Uh, Bagwell then fled, hopping in the car with Joe Frank and speeding away. And then Timmerman was discovered by his wife, who alerted police. Now, it seems that the initial investigation didn't really provide any leads, and they offered a cash reward with any information about the crime. Uh, Now, remember, this is the 1940s so like investigative techniques were not exactly up to snuff you gotta force them to either confess get a fingerprint or an eyewitness yeah that's it pretty much pretty much (laughs) so there was a point just uh, about a month after the murders when police mistakenly (laughs) arrested Uh two men from fort smith arkansas a what? Yeah. <laughs> Jesse L. James and Jimmy Kitchen. Oh, Jimmy Kitchen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, this is where things get a little hairy. Okay. So these two guys get arrested. They are transported to Edgefield County by Sheriff Wad Allen. Who, Wad? Yes. Wad. Wad. Oh, boy. 
way. Yeah. Um, so glad I didn't grow up in the South. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Me too. Uh, for more re- reason than one. <laughs> Sheriff Allen happened to be the cousin of Sue and George. Big connections here. <laughs> so he arrests these two guys, takes them up to Edgefield County, gives no reason as to why they're suspects or why they were arrested, and ends up charging Jesse L. James with murder. Yeah, that's real big thing they do in the South. They well, I mean, they do it most. They would it would be a black person that they would be like, right, mm-hmm. right. They did it. Yeah, and then done. And <laughs> so James is now sitting in a cell. Pretty much waiting for whatever was going to come next. Um, our friend Clarence Bagwell uh, got into a bit of an argument with his girlfriend. And Are we getting some beans spilled? They're saying <laughs> in a drunken stupor, yeah. Um, at some point, he had divulged that he was actually responsible for Timmerman's murder. And Hello so the talk, baby. Yeah. Every time. I murdered that guy. Tell me more, honey. Oh, God. under the pillow. Yeah, right. <laughs> so she got so mad during this argument that she was like, you know what? Fuck you. Went to the police station and was like, oh, by the way, my boyfriend is responsible for Timmerman's murder. There you go. Bitch. Mic drop. Yeah. Go to jail. <laughs> so they go off. They arrest Bagwell. Um, and then Timmerman's widow, who had like, she was there when they cased the joint earlier in the day. So she was able to, she got called into the police station, was able to identify Bagwell as one of the guys who had been there earlier in the day. Um, so she made the positive identification. After that, Bagwell pretty much confessed to everything. Um, telling police how he had been hired by Joe Frank to carry out Timmerman's murder. Um, authorities then went off, arrested Joe Frank, who denied any part of the murder. I didn't have anything to do with this. And then um, th- after after all, of, they're arresting all of these other suspects, right? Now they have these new, seemingly more likely people responsible um, and in custody. Police were finally able to release uh, Jesse James and Jimmy Kitchen, and the two were fully exonerated. Yeah, before they even went to trial, which I'm like... Good, because yeah. that could have, if it was post-trial, totally. like, mm-hmm. gone so much worse. Um, on his attorney's advice, Joe Frank opted to confess to his part in the crime and implicated Sue and, and George in the process. So now police knew they were looking for two more people to add as accessories to the murder. So remember Sheriff Allen? Yeah. The cousin? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he and Sheriff William Clark went to the Logue's farm to arrest Sue and George. Now, Sheriff Allen had gone unarmed while Sheriff Clark was armed. When the two arrived and entered the house, George and Fred Dorn, who was the first guy who had been sort of hired to kill uh, Timmerman, started shooting at the officers in an intense gun battle. Sheriff Allen, the cousin, was killed in the gunfire. And Sheriff Clark was able to shoot back, hitting George and killing Fred Dorn. Sheriff Clark had himself been hit and rushed to the hospital, and then he died two days later. So Jesus both both sheriffs. Christ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I know. It gets wild. Oh, <laughs> don't worry. It gets wilder. Um, <laughs> the community was, like, super upset that these two police officers had been killed as a result of the shootout and did what old-timey folks do best, formed a lynch mob. Woohoo! And they went to the Logue's farm. Mm-hmm. Now, are you, this is about to take a weird turn. Okay. Are you familiar with Strom Thurmond? 
I am. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> okay. So for those of you who are not, <laughs> let me give you the highlights. <laughs> okay. This yeah. is taking a weird turn. It yeah, is yeah. taking a weird mm-hmm. turn. He was a U.S. Senator from South Carolina from 1954 to 2003, which is, which so is crazy. Like, stop. Yeah. Time limits, anyone? Hello. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, he was governor of South Carolina from 1947 to 1951. He was actually a Democrat until 1964 when he switched parties. Um, he was extremely heavily opposed to civil rights legislation, supported racial segregation, uh-huh. but continuously claimed to not be racist. No, no, no. See, it's like not racism. need like people. Yeah, it's not racism, <laughs> no. Um, he also has the record for the longest speaking filibuster ever by a lone senator. That's what I remember the most. At <laughs> 24 hours and 18 minutes when he spoke in opposition to the Civil Rights Act of 1957. Like, bro. <laughs> I Are know. you for fucking real? Yeah. So that's Strom Thurmond. I bet you did not expect him to make a cameo in this story. Cut it out, Strom. Yeah. So... After the lynch mob formed, Strom Thurmond, who at this point in the 40s was like a local judge in the area, um, he went to the farm to try to, like, diffuse the situation because... not crossing the fucking line at all. Well, judge. not only was he a judge, but Thurmond had been having an affair with Sue Logue. Oh, I thought you were going to be, like, distant cousin. I'm like... Fucking, of course. Nah, just fucking. fucking. Well, I mean, could still be a cop. Yeah, true. (laughs) True. So he convinces his mob to let him through to, like, go negotiate with Mm -hmm. the Logues. And he was able to talk Sue and George into surrendering to police. Wild. So Sue, George, and Bagwell all went to trial in January 1942. The trial took three days, and the jury deliberated for two hours before finding all three of them guilty um, and sentencing them to death. To death. At this point, they are being charged with like murder in addition to the accessory because of the deaths of the yeah, sheriffs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is going to carry even a heavier sentence than just they just murdered right. that one guy. Barely go to jail. Yeah, if right. That maybe. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so they all got uh, death sentences. All three were executed by electric chair on January fifteenth, nineteen forty three. Wow, that was quick. That was a quick turnaround. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, that was, yeah, it was like almost immediately after Straight the trial the was done. Yeah. Sue, Sue's execution actually made her the first woman ever to be executed in South Carolina's electric chair. She oh. was like the first woman. And she was the first, I believe. Um, Women's rights. Let me see. She was the first, <laughs> she was also the first of the three to be executed. So yeah. just Equality saying. for all. Yes. Now, many years after Sue George and Bagwell's um, executions, the guy who typically drives the bus to, like, transport prisoners mm-hmm. came out and revealed that actually he had taken Strom Thurmond to the women's penitentiary Stop. <laughs> where Sue was. Stop. Thurmond had said that he would personally take Sue to the execution, but actually the two had sex in the back of the car the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Which I just thought was like Poor an interesting little. Strom Thurman. It's like, all right, one last time. Let's go. Like, <laughs> yo. The last thing I Weird. Mean, how about you uh, break me out of here? Right. Fucker. Right. <laughs> 
Um, Joe Frank also stood trial for his part in the murder, mainly for being an accessory. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1943, Joe Frank was found guilty. He was also sentenced to death. Straight up. Kill them all. Um, He (laughs) was scheduled to be executed on January 23rd, 1944. But at the last minute, like he had already had his last meal. He was pretty much like physically prepped to go. They had done all the prepping beforehand and was about to head to the chair. Um, Joe Frank's sentence got commuted to life in prison. That's fucking lucky, bro. Yeah, for real. (laughs) Um, And he was eventually released on parole in 1960. I mean, yeah. did he really do anything? (laughs) Right. Um, I mean, yes and no. I don't know. That's a tricky one. (laughs) He did drive the getaway car. Yeah. And case the joint. But um, that is the story of David Timmerman and the mule and (laughs) the logs and the... I mean, it really is like this sort of twisty, windy... Very Southern. Very Southern. Very Southern. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So this case is going to take us on a equally wild ride. Okay. Uh, but we're in, we're in modern times in California. And this is going to be about a slumlord landlord named Arthur Raffi Aslanian. I believe is how you say his last name. Too real. Mm-hmm. Landlord's man. Now, this is a pretty recent news story here, and it started about last February and is literally wrapping up in the month that we are recording this. Oh, shit, really? Of 2023. So there's, you know, you can't go up on Wikipedia and fact check this shit. I'm telling you, this is like, (laughs) I had to go on Facebook and get firsthand witness accounts of Facebook posts from his tenants. Oh, God. And... Um, They started a group on Facebook to document the landlord's attempts to remove people from his property unlawfully. So this is a lot. I mean, that's kind of smart, though. This is first-hand accounts, and this is news stories following along. So I'm sure eventually we're going to see more information come out because this guy is the fucking sneakiest. So. The pits, really. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, Aslanian was a landlord in North Hollywood. He owned several properties, including a 10-unit 1925 bungalow on Hartsook Street in North Hollywood. Now, starting just before the pandemic in January 2020, Aslanian started trying to get rid of his tenants in the building by slowly letting it decay and fall down. Classic. Classic slumlord move. Yeah. Also illegal, but cool. Well... (laughs) L.A. has interesting laws about oh, tenants and Jesus. landlords. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I should say in Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then after he couldn't get it to fall down, he attempted to basically what? evict people by starting to demolish the building while people were still living in it. Well, that's definitely yeah. illegal. How? But how could someone do that? How? How? Um, L.A. has always been the city that protects landlords. That's fucked up. You ever wonder why the homeless population exploded all of the sudden? Yeah. Well, tenant laws coupled with humongous inflation, landlords are getting a ton of protection. Wow. So if you decide to update your property 
The city gives you tax incentives. And as long as you do it in a quote unquote safe manner, you can do this while tenants are still living on property. So you can effectively start to demolish a building while people are still living there if you claim that you are updating it. Yeah, but it has to be done safely. So you can't just like. What is safe? I mean, not what is killing safe? people. Well, he didn't kill anyone. <laughs> Oh, my God. (laughs) So Aslian started to do that. Now, below is a picture of the news story when they started, quote, unquote, construction. And you can tell that there is an entire wall missing from the home. Yeah. Completely exposed. Before they started construction? No, this is during the demolishing. Oh, during the demolition. Okay. That woman lives where that door is open. Wow. That is the front of her house. Yeah. That's crazy, dude. (laughs) That is demolition. There is no, there is no not wall. construction. Yeah. That's wild. It is just beadboard, and the top where it starts to hit the eave of the roof is completely open. Yeah. With just studs. That's <laughs> fucking wild. So on the night of June 13th, 2020, around 10 p.m., the landlord essentially began tearing down the building while people were living inside. And according to an interview with a tenant by Spectrum News, she said, I quote, I live in fear that I will wake up and I won't have any walls. That's that's wild. You should not have to have that amount of stress in your home. Now, this property was rent controlled and people had been living there for 10 plus years. So these tenants started to complain to the city and to try to see what legal actions they could take. Councilman Paul Krikorian issued a letter to the landlord and told Spectrum News that he is committed to protecting the rights of the tenants. So a lot of this is coming from Spectrum News in case you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Krikorian um, had a team of people put together a plan to work closely with the city's housing and community investment department, um, and they issued a stop work order to Aslan to prevent any more construction to the property. At this same time, an ordinance was being proposed, which would eventually pass a year later, that effectively would quote unquote protect tenants from landlords and this because this was because of the pandemic yeah that they decided to um pass this law which is insane that that's what it took because real uh, frankly the pandemic hit and the housing situation went from bad to worse oh yeah um because it really like made it more difficult for people to continue to stay in the housing they were in afford to get different housing if they needed to Mm -hmm. the availability of housing lowered yeah. Speaking as a person who was looking for an apartment during this horrible, horrible housing situation of like. Yeah, there were three houses on our block that were up for sale and they instantaneously sold. Yeah. People moved in within a day of them selling. That's crazy. Which is not what yeah. on a normal time. No. So it's not great. No. So the ordinance was called the Tenant Anti-Harassment Ordinance or Tahoe. Nice. <laughs> nice. It became a law August 6, 2021, and it sought to make abusive landlords subject to heavy fines and possible jail time. Its sponsors also intended to kind of help with uh, getting civil lawsuits against abusive landlords going, because previous to this, it was next to impossible. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So the ordinance contains what a lot of people are saying, big flaws. It's practically impossible for tenants to get lawyers to represent them in civil lawsuits because of the way that some of this is structured. The law does not guarantee lawyers reimbursements for legal fees, which is one of the biggest issues uh, because a lot of the people who are in these issues are people who live in rent controlled properties who are close to the poverty line. Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting. So using these laws, the tenants of Aslian's block tried to band together to sue the landlord. And during this time, Aslian used several tactics to intimidate and try to force out these tenants from the property. Then something happened that was pretty bananas. And this is according to uh, his tenants. It said... Aslian was under contract in February 2022 to sell a purported quote-unquote shovel-ready project for $13 million for this property that he was in the process of demolishing. So a shovel-ready project is, it's basically like a project plan that you are going to like turn this property into something amazing. And we see this a lot with like in Chicago when we're talking about all of these abandoned billion buildings or all of these areas that are in like not great areas, basically this kind of like gentrification sort of plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he created this shovel ready project for 13 million, which would double the amount of the worth of the property. So he paid $6 million for it and it would kind of double that property. Gotcha. Um, So what happened was while he was proposing this, two fires break out on the property. Okay. I'm already very suspicious. Whiffs of arson? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. In January 2022, right before he's kind of like getting this stuff together. There's hearings to determine whether the bungalows would be removed from what's called a rent escrow account program. God, this is a lot of finance. Yes. (laughs) This is a city program to kind of compel compliance with housing codes and address like persistent habitual like safety issues. Mm -hmm. Tenants submitted evidence of ongoing issues and unresolved complaints in this like hearing to be like, this shit's fucked. Like, yeah. don't put any money towards this. Yeah. This included broken and permanently open windows. Yo. So days after the hearing, it would it was like determined that they needed to kind of reschedule because of issues with um some of the property. Like they just had to go and investigate further. Yeah. So they were like, we're just going to kind of reschedule and we'll come back and visit it and then a few days after that it became february and tenants awoke to discover evidence of attempts of arson now you're like what the fuck um there's pictures here of scorch marks along the building's foundation okay they found a can of gasoline a strangely triggered hot plate that was supposed to go off with this gasoline can. Okay. And security footage from someone's personal camera of two individuals entering and exiting the property. Weird. So I put in here the the pictures that the tenants took to show that someone attempted to burn down this place. Yeah. So there's char marks along basically the basement area. Yeah. And a hot plate with a like literal tin can full of gasoline next to it. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So the hot plate was basically supposed to explode and then set the can off against the house. Weird. All right. So a few days after that, on February 8th, L.A. County Council voted to remove the building from the REAP program and return full control to Aslian so he could sell this shovel-ready project proposal. Okay. Tenants received notice shortly after the approval of the REAP um, account closure and they would have to resume paying full payments to the landlord okay um so 
They're now in a building that's partially demolished. Yeah. They have to go back to paying full rent. They're going to be like they know they're going to be kicked out of the home now eventually once all of everything is like done. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, he's doing all these things to push them out. Then a month later after this, in the early morning of March 18th, 2022, now this is a quote from uh, one of the tenants, quote, my neighbors and I awoke to the L.A. Fire Department on the roof fighting flames of 20 feet high that were spreading rapidly through the shared attic crawl space towards everyone's units. This is Yo. the second fire attempt yeah. that was actually successful. Oh, my God. Later, we learned that the L.A. Fire Department captain on the scene said that the fire would have easily consumed the building if not for their rapid intervention and suppression. Wow. And there's a picture in here of the entire fucking roof on fire with, like, six firefighters on top of it with axes. Holy and, like, shit. So straight up just trying to burn the building yes, down with people inside. Burn the building down with his tenants inside. That's nuts. After the March 18th arson, tenants turned to the city of LA again filing complaints while the housing department um, with the housing department for the fire damage as well as all the calls and emails to this, you know, saying like, oh my God, like he did this, then he did this. Now he's setting the fucking building on fire. We have evidence of a previous attempt of arson a few weeks ago. Like, just really Dude. laying a fucking case out. Yeah. But nothing was done for these tenants. In fact, a property development plan sent to the city by Aslian for redeveloping that shovel ready project yeah. was approved directly Yo. after this fire took place. Fuck, okay. By July of 2022, the tenants filed their lawsuit and took Aslian to court. Before the case got going too far, Aslian was arrested in September for not only hiring someone to burn down his properties, but in a separate case occurring at the exact same time, he also hired another person to hire someone else in a murder-for-hire plot. There's a lot what? Of yeah. We have arson and okay. we have murder. He, uh, hired- a double down. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to stick with this one. Yes. I'm going to trust he'll get me through it. <laughs> the arson and the tenant issues is what brought about the accidental discovery of him trying to murder someone. Yeah. The arson, I get. I mean, that mm-hmm. seemed pretty obvious that yeah. he was like him yeah. or somebody he hired was trying to burn the just fucking building dude down. dude all around. The murder for hire. What's that all Surprise. about? Surprise. You're probably yeah. like, why is this in the murder for hire? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was wondering where you were going with I mean, this. technically okay. hiring someone to commit arson is also murder I for hire. I mean, But yes. this is like a double, double, double. Yes. Although part of me was like, well, maybe they were, the tenants were trying to hire somebody to murder the fucking landlord. So many plot twists. So many plot twists. Um, according to prosecutors in his case, Aslian plotted with an employee of his, Cesar Rivera, to hire a hitman to kill an attorney Oh. So in the court papers, because I think this person's identity was changed, um, he goes by the initials MY. Okay. So this uh, attorney who had represented Aslian in a bankruptcy proceeding okay. a few years prior was the person that he was trying to find someone to murder. Um, okay. Aslian, ref- so he had cover- like he had kind of been his attorney, and he owed him $261,000 in legal fees. Aslian owed him? Mm-hmm. Okay. Aslian refused to pay the attorney, saying, you didn't fucking do anything for me, you know? Um, so oh my uh, M.Y. told him that he was going to sue him if he did not pay. Okay. So he started the proceedings to sue the man. The real estate developer 
also conspired to what they call him a real estate developer. He's a slumlord. Okay, the man yeah. also conspired to kill a different person that in all of the court proceedings also had their name changed, which again makes me very curious as to why. Yeah. But their initials is S.E. So he tried to kill two people, M.Y. and S.E. Um, the man, S.E., prevailed in uh, a lawsuit against Aslian, trying to take possession of um, a home that he owned. And so he was basically trying to get revenge on these two men that took money from him. Gotcha. Gotcha. So in the summer of 2022, Aslian approaches Rivera and states that he needs someone. Rivera contacted a gang member with an offer saying that Aslian would pay $20,000 per murder. <laughs> wow. Rivera used... I love how worried he is about someone taking money from him. And he's like, but let me just drop, I'm gonna drop 40, 40 grand on this. Wow. Um, Rivera used Facebook Messenger to deliver photos and information on the intended victims to the hitman. Let me just say that if you're going to plot a murder, don't use fucking Facebook Messenger. No, all of at that least try to get police. At least try to get end-to-end encryption. Like, yeah. Not saying that you should do that. I'm not advocating <laughs> for that, but listen. Bro, everything is traceable. You <laughs> but I'm just think. saying. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't do it on your phone. In fact, just don't do it. <laughs> so it didn't tell exactly in any of the information how law enforcement found out about the plot. But they did. And I'm going to say it's probably through a series of like snitches or street informants because they were dealing with gangs. Yeah. Um, But they found out about the plot and warned the victims. Oh. And then while they were kind of getting this together, they brought in Rivera on September 7th. So Aslian also said that he was going to pay Cesar... Uh, Rivera to find a separate individual for a few hundred dollars to set the property on fire. Okay. So this person is going to get 500 bucks to set the property on fire. And then we need a hitman to do two murders for 20,000 each. $500 right? for arson? For arson. That's low. 20, that's that's pretty low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they come in with Cesar Rivera and they're like listen we like we got you on this arson and also what's this about all these murders <laughs> also um, murders <laughs> so he agreed to cooperate with the police and um <laughs> they decided that they were going to set up basically like a a bait and switch situation okay they took the first victim MY and the feds staged a fake death photo of this man. Is that what that is? Yes. Okay. And sent it to Aslian from Cesar Rivera's account saying that, can you confirm this is him? We've taken care of it. And Aslian's response is, that's him. That's a pretty, pretty good fake death photo. I'm I not mean, lie. is it? I mean, it's okay. His throat was quote unquote slit. So it's um, the picture is of a man, a businessman yeah. in a suit laying... Like one hand above his head on his side with like blood, fake blood across his neck. Yeah. It's very absurd. It's not, I mean, it's not the worst. Let me, <laughs> let me say that. It might not be the best, but it's definitely not the worst I've seen. It yeah. really is something. As somebody um, who worked in a lot of haunted houses. Yeah. Convincing enough. Convincing haunted houses. Yeah. Um, so according to federal prosecutors, the, um, <laughs> The Aslian guy told his assistant 
apparently his assistant, was looking at these pictures to destroy the, the photographs and to never speak about the murder again. And he's like, you get rid of your evidence. You delete everything from my phone. Obviously, that's not how things work. And with a ton of incriminating evidence, Aslian was arrested on September 15th. Now, Aslian was scheduled to return to a court around October 6th for an arraignment hearing. Because um, obviously, hello, this motherfucker is guilty. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was actually let out on $20,000 bond, and it was scheduled for October 25th for the arraignment in uh, federal court. And Aslian's defense attorneys actually put together this, like, really intense multi-million dollar <clears throat> bond package meant to kind of, like, get him out of there so that he could kind of be comfortable. Yeah. And, like, he's not going to run away. It's totally fine. Uh, right. I would be like, no. No, really? thank you. Yeah. Um, this prompted the U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles to file um, <laughs> the staged murder photos <laughs> as the evidence um, to refuse the bail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I was like, how? <laughs> how? It's, a, it's a stretch, but all right. Yeah. Um, he had this like, guy murdered, but yeah, not really because he's, he's like, still alive. But, you know, like, lis- like listen, he, look at, listen to all the stuff you wrote in here. It's like. He really wanted this guy to be dead. He yeah. was like, totally satisfied with these photos. Um, <laughs> so despite pleas, you know, he was released on $1.9 million bond. Um, you know, and they, he said that the government failed, you know, to prove that he was a, a risk of flight or that mm-hmm. he wasn't in danger of the community because these were all, like, related to him crimes or whatever. Okay. <laughs> So as of this month in July, just a week ago from this recording, wow. Arthur Rafi Aslian, aged 54, was found guilty of one count each of conspiracy and use of interstate commerce facilities in the commission of a murder for hire, as well as three arson-related counts. Interesting. Okay. okay. The United States District Judge Jesus Bernal scheduled a sentencing hearing for October of this year. At which time, Aslian will face a statutory maximum sentence of 10 years in federal prison for each murder for hire related count and up to 20 years in a federal prison for each arson related count and up to a mandatory minimum of five years in a federal prison for each arson count. So, wow. That's definitely looking at some prison time for sure. (laughs) Um, Rivera pleaded guilty on March 27th of this year to one count of conspiracy and one count of use of interstate commerce facilities in the commission for a murder for hire. He faces up to 10 years in federal prison for each count, um, and his hearing is going to be in September. So this will be ongoing until at least the end of this year. Um, So that is a... Plot Does he twisting still... slumlord murder fires? Okay, I'm curious what happened to his property holdings. I mean, if that reverted to somebody else I in his family know. or to a property management he company, didn't or like have a wife or kids. Yeah, um, I, I, not, I, yeah, I, 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 don't I know. would be curious. But yeah, I think during a case like this, I'm pretty sure they have that all assets get held anyway until. The case is over, so at the very least, that nothing's happening. The tenants the don't have to be stressed for a little while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so. except for all the damage that's already been done, <laughs> the but you know, gaping fucking holes. In their yeah, walls. and the bur- and the burning smell, yeah, and the, the, you know, the fucking roof oh that my was God. on fire. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. wild. That's wild, so that's man. All she wrote. Yeah. <laughs> well, before you hire somebody to murder somebody else, first of all, don't. We'll always say that, mm-hmm. but maybe check out this podcast. 
My name is Hunter. And I'm Haley. And we're your hosts of Murder and Such, a podcast about true crime, serial killers, and other dark subject matter. Join us while we fill your ear holes with some crappy comedy and disgusting tales. You can now find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your podcatcher services. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter at Murder and Such. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Well, that has been our show, ladies, gents, and all those in the non-binary. Thems and thems. Yes. Z's and he's. Z's and he's. (laughs) Uh, If you enjoyed it, if you want to hear more episodes like this, you can find more at badtastepodcast.com. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Do you have anything you want to end the show on? I mean... Don't commit crimes. That's all I got to say. Stay safe, do drugs? Yeah. I mean, drugs that aren't going to make you psychotic, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, the Enigma. <laughs> this has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Psst. You need to hire someone. No. For murder. She didn't say that. Just kidding. Bye. No. <laughs> <laughs>